Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 129. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. They call me Mr. 129 because I'm on a 129 podcast streak. (laughs) (laughs) I'm uh, JT White. I'm kind of the Samantha of the group, I'd say. (laughs) I I was going to lead with that when we got to that movie. They (laughs) call me Mr. 129 because my lifetime batting average is 129. (laughs) 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 You got some hits. (laughs) (laughs) our double feature this week halloween 2 a film by rob zombie from 2009 and sex in the city 2 a film by michael patrick king from 2010 these are two films from the aughts into the teens that are sequels to reboots of beloved american franchises uh jt why did you pick these two movies for the podcast well both i feel like i was kind of uh like i wanted to talk about on the pod at some point and uh, you got to get them in now. I know Sex in the City 2 is in like the Hall of Fame of like things like Delgo or just like <laughs> whiffs that I know I would like to talk about. Or I, I want to see and, and bring to this great academic roundtable we have here. Um, but I guess the table is more of a rectangle, but it doesn't matter. Hey, Sex in the City 2 made bank. I looked this up, you know. Both of these movies... Turned around a profit. I'll Let's say that it. much. Let's get it. But Delgo, I might need to sneak Delgo in for maybe one of my only animated movie choices, Delgo. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's aside the point. But yeah, and also it's like, it's fucking Halloween time. We got to talk about at least one spooky movie. And uh, I've been going uh, zombie mode. And uh, this is my favorite of all of his films. And uh, I uh, am excited to to get in the weeds on that one. Nice. Well, let's let's get right into those weeds then. Might as well. Uh, I mean, so we all we could do a little prelude here. We all watched or rewatched Rob Zombie's Halloween from 2007 this week as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that movie is good. It's like I I don't love it. I think it's maybe among the weaker things that I've seen from Rob Zombie. Uh, but it definitely sets the table for what is to come in Halloween 2 with his very, you know, dark and brash style uh, with obviously lots of, you know, grindhouse stylistic flair and uh, obviously tons of gore and just general darkness. I, I That's really all I could think of while I was watching the movies. This thing is just relentlessly dark. And obviously Halloween 2 takes it a step further. Yeah, I didn't quite... I'm kind of mixed on the first Halloween, and I think I, I was quite a fan of two. And it's kind of interesting watching them back to back. Like, what's the? And I think there are some obvious differences, of course. But it is like, I don't know, like something like Halloween two is so. It's such a direct movie, not very, uh, not much plotting or whatever. Whereas like, like Halloween two gets lost in or. Excuse me. The zombies original Halloween just kind of gets lost in the phrase for me. Like it's just. It's it's disjointed, but not in like the you know lovable zombie stylistic way. It's just it's I don't know. I feel like there's just there's just too many different like storylines and kind of going on that just kind of got me off its rhythm a little bit. You know what I mean? I think it's it's like it's a very I don't know unwildly movie so to speak. But like um, 
it it does set up Halloween too, which is a very good movie. So it's I can't I can't dislike it too much. Yeah, I'd say I probably like the original zombie Halloween the most out of the three of us. But I think that like I don't know, it does a lot of like setting up work, and I think in terms of style, like it's clearly not there yet as to what zombie does with two. Like I think one of my favorite part or parts of two is just how zombie like plays with like visual textures and just like it's fascinating in that and Halloween I'd say is pretty like I don't know standard zombie style and doesn't like do all that much that like breaks in the mold for me since it's a pretty close retread of the original I enjoy him adding like the white trash and like poverty roots onto the Mike <laughs> Meyer, uh, the Mike Myers story. And I think that works really well. And especially like having it add so much to set up the second film. Like I like how Laurie shifts between the two in the first one being um, kind of like middle class. And then she goes into a darker uh, area and is kind of more in the like poverty end of things mm -hmm. and i i like what rob zombie is adding to the original halloween like you said jt but i think it kind of gets lost in uh especially the second half of it being much more of a direct remake of mm -hmm. the original halloween i think when he's you know walking down his own path it's a bit more interesting uh, and of course you get some classic rob zombie flair in there you know like the rush needle drop and some of <laughs> mm -hmm. his classic recurring character actors popping up but halloween 2 man i mean this is just a film that is crazy it's uh, I, i'm not the first to compare it to twin peaks fire walk with me but i won't be the last either uh, i think both films are very interested in investigating um not so much the evil that happened to a character but the effect that that evil had on the character and how it traumatized the character and you know how that then of course um you know, cycles into them, not just traumatizing the people around them, but in this case, Laurie Strode just kind of infecting everyone with like the darkness that she carries within this movie. It's like such a brooding movie and it opens on a hospital set, you know, kind of slasher set piece where, well, it doesn't quite open like that. L like Halloween 2 from 1981, I believe, uh, it opens, you know, directly after the end of Halloween, and you see Michael Myers getting loaded into the meat wagon uh, as the coroners kind of joke around about fucking dead girls. And Did you get a look at the naked chick. Man, she was F I N E five. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> she still looked fresh. <laughs> I heard a story about a couple of meat wagon boys fucking corpses over in Essex. I ain't never had the urge till tonight. Oh, whoa, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, come on. Cracker even thinks he has you joking about that and then you're out of here on your ass. I would never do it. Huh? I'm just saying. She still look good to me. Nice old titties are hanging out. Huh? Come on, that's disgusting. Stop it now. I got wood just ziplocking her up. Stop, shut up. Please. 
then uh, hit a cow and uh, the car explodes and, you know, uh, Michael gets out and goes to the hospital to kill some people, including Octavia Spencer as a nurse, uh, you know, bringing it all back to the start of the podcast with Ma. Uh, But then it's revealed that that little homage or even reflection of the original Halloween 2 was just a dream. And we flash forward. Now, this is the first difference between the director's cut and the theatrical cut. Theatrical cut, you jump forward one year. Director's cut, two years later. Not really sure what the difference is there. Studios were (laughs) warring over that. (laughs) Two years is too much time. That's fucking crazy. That's ludicrous. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and it was a very fraught production. I guess Zombie feuded with the Weinstein brothers quite a bit Uh, over the course of this production. They like slashed his uh, shooting schedule quite a bit. And uh, as well as the post-production schedule. So it's it's a film that, despite having a director's cut that seems to be such a direct vision of Rob Zombie, uh, it is also like a very compromised film. And I think you kind of see some of that throughout it. You know, like despite the fact that the producers told him it didn't need to play by the rules of the Halloween series, uh, it's still... You know, I, I wouldn't say it does at all, but I feel like there there is definitely a compromised uh, quality, and I don't say that in a bad way. It, in terms of it just being a difficult production and a like a production of kind of mixed uh, feelings toward this whole series and this character. No, yeah, and like it's it's interesting with the uh, like I feel like you see I don't know you see pe- people reviewing this movie or whatever and like. People are like, all right, this is the good horror movie about trauma and like kind of an obvious point. But I guess I'd, I'd have to agree in like, I don't know, like in I, uh, some of my favorite violent, um, some of my favorite horror movies where they're dealing with trauma or not, they portray like a very, very violent and mean, you know, kind of cold world. And that's like a world, you know, Lori lives in despite, you know, maybe a couple uh, you know, maybe her dad and her friend that are like, you know, kind of nice to her. But like, it's like, even even if she's not in the scene, just like, yeah, we got like people on the ambulance talking about, you know, fucking dead bodies and stuff like that. And just like a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of, you know, just uh, uh, aggressive attitudes around, her, you know what I mean? It kind of uh, like uh, heightens kind of like uh, her own kind of, I guess, hysteria that she's kind of going down through, you know, due to lack of medication you know what i mean uh, stuff like that so like I, I i like the 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 violent world around this movie i mean to be fair she's not doing herself any favors she sleeps underneath that like big charles manson poster yeah. like that's uh come on man that's not gonna help out at all <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know what she's i mean you know they say women love true crime but you'd you'd think that maybe she would be an exception to that but <laughs> zombie she's knows. the original true crime podcaster <laughs> <laughs> and i lived it so i know uh yeah and also in that very beginning uh when myers is getting you know loaded into the meat wagon we see her just like creeping through the streets holding a gun you know after shooting michael myers at the end of the original rob zombie halloween and yeah i don't know just the way she looks and the way zombie frames it it's all well first of all she's moving so slowly you know and we see this throughout the movie of characters just kind of creeping through the frame and zombie dissolving from uh them being in one position to another and i don't know she's framed like a horror monster and it's clear uh what rob zombie is doing here how you know 
it's not just this familial connection of them being brother and sister, uh, but they just have this mental connection and a similar, uh, you know, a similar mental affliction. It just, it manifests itself in very different ways between these two characters. But, you know, there are scenes in this film where there's a dream that someone wakes up from, but it's like, it also seems like it could easily be Michael Myers' dream that mm-hmm. she is then waking up from. And I feel like that kind of uh, contributes to the the Lynchian feeling and the Firewalk With Me comparisons, but also just this kind of shared, extremely dark uh, subconscious between them is like, probably the most horrifying aspect of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's kind of like that core that's at the movie is maybe something that's missing from the original Halloween that kind of doesn't let me attach onto it as well. But just to kind of speak of the visual style of this movie, uh, Zombie gets low. He's getting low, oh, yeah. low, low in this movie. And I, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's like, why aren't more directors getting low? Yeah, it's lots like, of low angle and like low level, like whether pointing yeah. up or pointing straight out. Uh, and also just the textures of it yeah. too, shot on 16 millimeter and in the the flat wide screen of 1.85 rather than the scope compositions of the first Halloween and many other Halloween films. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot of weirdness going on here. A lot of weird dissolves too. And, uh, you know, rapid editing mixed with slower long takes. And, you know, there's just, uh, he's pulling out all of his tricks here. Just like from the like opening set piece we talked about where it's like the rain pouring down when Lori's like trapped in that like little like guard like box room just it it has such an intense quality where it just like splits the image of her apart and so many times throughout he's like playing with like unique textures whether it's like whether he's like and I mean zombies obviously interested in different visual textures like throughout all of his movies he's like working like even in his digital work he's doing the fake like film grain like recreation on it but like when he's like capturing something like a television screen um or when we have uh loomis like at the conference there and the uh mike myers projected behind him he just i don't know it's so um fun to see uh him really like i don't know do a lot of uh stuff that i haven't seen before maybe like that low angle shot or something like gets low he'll get like like thinking of that scene we know where she's walking on the street that you described it's like you get the texture of like the ground and whatnot you know what i mean i think when you're talking textures that kind of put it you know that linked it in my mind and also i love i love like kind of the color palette of this i love the kind of like the nighttime blues he's using and then like kind of like harsh harsh whites Mm -hmm. for like street lights and stuff like that i think it's it's a pretty like it's pretty simple, but it, it works and it works with this movie that's like, you know, very dynamic. It's like a very like, you know, like any Michael Myers feature. We're on the run. We're going a lot of different places. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's, it works with, uh, you know, what's going on. And, you know, to kind of expand also on what you said about those low angle and low level shots, it's like the the overhead shots that are used in a lot of horror movies often referred to as, you know, God's eye view. Here, it's kind of the opposite. This is a, yeah. uh, it's a, to use a very blunt metaphor, this film feels like you're in hell the whole time. Yeah. Like it's a very hellish atmosphere. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, the, the more the film fleshes itself out to other characters and arcs, it 
is also just as gruesome, you know, like you have uh, Malcolm McDowell as Dr. Loomis here, uh, much less sympathetic than in the first Halloween movie, uh, just a complete huckster, just uh, shilling his new book about Michael Myers and the uh, the line of, you know, just exploitation of gruesome crimes. I mean, he's the real true crime girl on this sure. uh, movie, uh, just disgusting. And also like d- zombie doesn't back away from the sleaze of it all when he's like hitting on the news reporter and yeah. like uh, also of course you get the great scene of him with Weird Al and Chris Hardwick. <laughs> now you've been criticized and in some circles I gotta say outright accused of profiteering off the misery of others. I mean how do you even respond to that criticism? Well you know I, I think that's completely unfounded. I uh, I always get permission when I do the parody. No, I was talking to Oh I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 please. No, no, it, it was fascinating, your answer. Your turn. You've got something. I'm, I'm done, I'm done. Scene's great, but like even better, I guess it's kind of the same thing, but like when he's watching it back in his mm-hmm. like room or whatever, just being like, fuck, I look like a fucking loser. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God damn it. And like, yeah, it is, it is very funny to frame Loomis as like, yeah, just like a... I mean, you kind of get that vibe from the first one. Mm-hmm. Well, no, well, not I mean, he's like in the asshole, last like 45 like, minutes or yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it is he really kind of plays it out, you know, gets like you said, weird out rolls out for it. And, uh, it's a funny ass, you know what I mean? I guess all the, the great horror movies throughout time kind of had like a comedic relief and it's only sometimes funny when we cut to Loomis, but it yeah. is, it's a, it's a good respite from whatever's going on. Yeah. I think like, I mean the one scene in particular that really jumps out and I feel like in this, it, scene uh loomis says something that feels like sort of like a thesis statement for zombies like whole like career where it's bad taste is the petrol that drives the american dream (laughs) (laughs) and that's like where he's like doing like a like a book tour thing in front of the myers house just really shilling it out and like such shameless ways and just oh god it's so funny to see him play into being such a like oblivious asshole I love the first like book tour scene too because you get introduced to his you know I guess press assistant press person uh, who he just you know verbally abuses the entire time he's on screen with her and you get that shot of them it's so awesome them walking through the banquet hall and the camera just like soars across the other end of the room kind of and then meets them and I don't know just a zombie pulling out all the tricks just that crazy camera movement and change of focal length and then of course when he's actually presenting as you said JT where you have uh, Michael Myers as a child projected behind him just like one of my favorite images that isn't in the direct like Laurie Michael stuff in this film um, speaking of Michael though uh, you the, you don't get the kind of kills that you would in maybe the first couple Halloween movies that are more creative and almost goofy uh, and like a lot of slasher movies where it's like he's not setting up funny traps for people to fall into and die. You know, like all the killings in this are fucking brutal and direct. Like uh, when you see Octavia Spencer come out of that one room, just like coughing up blood or blood pouring from her nose, basically. And uh, you know, you you see that other nurse at the bottom of a staircase. And whenever Michael's killing people in this movie, he's just bluntly stabbing them. Like there's no hijinks going on at all. And, uh, it's it's really fucking dark. It's like really it's very effective violence. I mean the way I love throughout just zombies Myers is just so huge and intense like 
he's just this dominating force, and I love that you see him as a big bur- with the big burly mountain man beard yeah. in this. I mean, you get a little bit of it in the first Halloween for sure, like when he rips apart that like bathroom. But the like he he's such a big physical force in this. Literally, you know, in two ways, Zombie is humanizing Michael Myers, right? Like it is. Like, it's not only that you see his face, but there are, like, entire sequences where the mask is off. You know what I mean? And it's, I think so, right? Towards the end, right? Yeah. The mask is, so it's, it's like, a very, yeah, it's, like, almost, uh, like, I, this happens in the first one, right, where he kills all, all of his family, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of, like, it is, you know, I'll give, you know, credit to the first one where it's, like, him happening ac- uh, across that Michael's Meyer mask is almost, you know, it's just pure coincidence. It's, like... Uh, you know, kind of uh, muddying with the iconography of the series. I like it. And I love how those kills are reenacted by Laurie in her dream in this one. Like, she has a dream where she basically redoes that whole family massacre set piece that she wakes up from. And I don't know, the dreams in this are so insane. There's that one where it's like, it's, I guess it's Michael's dream here where it's in this, you know, hazy black and white. And like at first, like all the shots are, have this really heavy like iris around the corners. And uh, it's just like the first time we get, I guess, the Myers family reunion, which we see <laughs> kind of later on in the film. But uh, it's it's so insane. And you just have these like Halloween goblins. <laughs> like they, there's like jack-o'-lanterns and stuff. Like it's clearly this kid, this guy is still stuck in his like 10-year-old mind, but he just keeps getting more and more evil and vicious and physically imposing but the the brain is still that of like a kid who's locked into his 10th halloween you know yeah yeah that's i think that's also like uh i think this is a point that's probably verbally made in the movie but i'll pretend like i'll make i made it but uh i think yeah it's like myers walks with the dead like he lives with the dead and like i guess laurie does to a certain extent you know but like myers especially is like I don't know in terms of like character psychology or something this like I I do find this interesting in that like yeah he just like I don't like the the reason like I guess it doesn't explain the reason he kills people but it's like all the people he loves are dead so it's yeah. like might as well just start killing people right <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, you see him kill some people in a truck that are just like mad at him for being on his land on their land or whatever. But yeah. that, that's, I guess, where we're introduced to seeing Michael both old and young. You know, you have the kid version of Michael just like next to him in his yeah. mind, kind of. And uh, it's it's a really intense set of kills there that then leads to him eating a dog like uh, killing a dog and eating it and that's intercut with sheriff bracket like eating his sausage pizza with the two girls who are like telling him to be a vegetarian <laughs> and he's yeah. like, we need to get you off the animal products mr b not gonna happen man was meant to eat meat we all of us have a little bit of caveman in us <laughs> i really you know i really like those scenes of you know Dorif just at like the house chilling because they're like those are also very like stylistic in their own very like dark dark mm-hmm. dinners with like lights only being sh- like shown on like you know the characters themselves like i really do like the domestic life that's kind of set up here with just like you know as just lots of screaming and just like i don't know you really do feel like the tension and i guess like you know just their living conditions or whatever kind of like I don't know. A house where it's always dark all the time. Yeah. That, never, that's that's never good looks. That's like <laughs> such a terrible 
atmosphere is like that yeah the bracket household who's taken in Lori now like just her screaming every night and just having these freakouts and just like already a pretty shitty family situation it seems you know and uh yeah it's just it's very hellish sorry i have like a hair in my mouth jesus christ i saw this i saw this curb episode yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Nay's just trying to brag about eating so much <laughs> pussy. He's doing on mic antics. <laughs> With respect. That's 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 the kind of stop, you what? know. He left the mic to eat more pussy. <laughs> wow. I'm kinda I'm kinda like I'm DJ quick. I'm kinda like nineties rapper about eating pussy. <laughs> Not only do I refuse, I do it vehemently. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if we're going to get more hits on this podcast, you have to change that reference to Uncle Junior from The Sopranos. <laughs> True, and then I'm I'm out of uh, uh, salami, and then I'm, I'm all, all right, sad. <laughs> and I'm a socialist. <laughs> <laughs> and another very like classic Rob Zombie setup though is the strip club and it's so fucked up like uh, just the furthering of the you know just human exploitation of this movie is just like yeah the strip club advertises that the mother of Michael Myers used to strip there like it's so fucked up that they just have like a poster of that but uh, you get a great scene of the <laughs> strip club owner saying you know how'd you like to get fucked by Frankenstein's monster <laughs> And then just like him, that like them, like the owner and the stripper just shitting on like the guy who like cleans up there. Like just very, like I said, very like also like the random people in the cornfield of Myers Encounters that they're just willing to kill him already. Not, you know, not the best town, not the most friend, friendliest, but you know, you, yeah. you think of small towns, it's like, oh, it's full of friendly folks that might help you along the way. And it's like. They're red, like Myers is ready to be disposed of at an instant, but yeah, you're not yeah. gonna have your little like twee small town fantasy at uh, what's it called, uh, Uncle Meets Java Hole. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, works. we're calling you out, David Lynch, with the straight story. No, I'm just kidding. It's the only thing I can think of. Uncle Meets Java Hole is maybe the least appealing name for a place to get coffee. Ever. I, was, I was actually impressed by like how like just like you know kind of gag inducing that yeah yeah i was like zombie that's like a perfect like if rob zombie doing a math equation that's the answer is (laughs) uncle meets java hole um but the film kind of turns you know toward its climax after the strip club massacres and we see you know a couple michael myers kills and uh it like then, of course, Laurie uh, reads the book that Loomis had published that sheds the light on the fact that she is, in fact, Michael Myers' sister. And so it's this terrifying revelation where she's saying, you know, I'm not me. Uh, another thing, kind of like Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Uh, but it's like this horrifying scene of her yelling that she's not herself. And then right after that is when we get the Weird Al scene. <laughs> like cutting from <laughs> one of those scenes to the other is fucking just ridiculous tonal whiplash there. <laughs> so, yeah, it all, you know, comes to with another family reunion in a shack. Uh, and it's really just intense after uh michael you know kills annie they, they go to that shack where uh her, him and laurie are there and of course the 
the visage of Sherry Moon Zombie as their mom, and uh, the young Michael Myers are in there too. You have the whole police squad outside, you know, aiming their sights, and it's a it's a pretty fucked up sequence that climaxes with Doctor Loomis trying to be the hero and getting out there. And I love that because we see that in other entries in the series where Loomis is like, you know, I can get through to the boy, you know, I can talk to him, and here he just gets fucking wrecked, like he just <laughs> gets fucking wrecked, and that leads to uh, Laurie picking up his knife. And this is also a huge difference from the theatrical, but in the director's cut, picking up Michael Myers's knife and getting just massacred by police gunfire and it's like so insane to end the film like that you know and apparently in the theatrical version uh she does not die in this scene (laughs) which uh they wanted uh it it was a reshoot done after the film was done with production too the weinsteins were like you gotta shoot an ending where laurie lives because we might want to do a third film you know true i i mean you know no credit to the Weinsteins, of course, but it's like wouldn't wouldn't you want another Rob Zombie well, Halloween movie L- on his own terms, Ma- though? On his own terms, Laurie is Mike Myers <laughs> is an interesting like step to take it, but just the I mean, like seeing that movie, it just because they cut out a lot of the other Laurie like trauma stuff mm-hmm. apparently, and it's just like that's so that's like the crux of the film, and you're just making it something so entirely different there, and just the way again like formally he shoots that and like having like is it like freeze frames or yeah is they he do doing freeze di- frames that are being dissolved over one another it's fucking crazy yeah. no and it's you know of course i was joking it's like i mean to, for like producers to force that drastic difference of an ending too it's like that's a that's a complete like disrespect like there's really nothing you could say to where it's like all right i want to work with these people i guess it's you know but it's like that's just that's that's just too much yeah, I feel like a lot of director's cuts are kind of negligible. Like yeah. maybe it's just longer, like a lot of the True. time, you know. Uh, but this is like completely changes the narrative. <laughs> Essential. Essential. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah, I, I read also, uh, I haven't seen the theatrical, but, you know, from a Rob Zombie interview about it that, yeah, it starts her in a more normal place as she descends into her, you know, uh, loss of sanity and her grip on reality but in this film she just starts off completely fucked up and yeah. uh just only gets worse and it's it's a difficult pill to swallow this is like a very when i say a challenging or difficult film i don't mean in the way where we usually mean it like with art house films and yeah. stuff this is just like on a pure level of the emotions of the characters this is a very fucking difficult film to watch no definitely it's a. Uh... I mean, like I just the things I've been describing, right? Yeah, yelling and uh, unpleasant, like it is. It's and I think maybe that's like I don't know. Like I think maybe what keeps maybe some people away from zombies' work um, that you know are smart enough to appreciate good movies is that like he's he's a very unpleasant guy. His movies are very unpleasant, and even like something like House of a, a Thousand Corpses, right? Where that's a lot of fun, maybe to us. It's like to certain sensibilities or just, you know, in terms of not even like cinema aesthetic, but like just kind of like just general things that people like in general, you know, squeamish or, you know, around certain things. It's like, you know, zombie, I mean, he's truly a man of bad taste and that's why we like him, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I guess it's, but this one, you know, I mean, it's kind of, I would say even more tasteful than some yeah. of his bad taste. I, I would entirely agree with that. Like this is like a crude and like repulsive and dirty movie, 
but there is a lot more sympathy for the characters Absolutely. than I feel like is present in a lot of zombie movies where he'll just like torture the shit out of characters gleefully. <laughs> um, but this, there's so much like it is, it, it, it's a painful movie to watch that is like, I, I would agree with you, Eddie, very difficult, but there's like so much like sympathy for the pain and trauma that like Lori is feeling. And like one of my favorite, like, little moments also about like sort of like the, the past trauma of all this is the little snippet where Brad Dourif uh, comes back to the house and he sees his family like just entirely killed after like he had already lost his daughter in the first Halloween and you get that moment there again where zombies like playing with like texture where it's like his daughter like on like a home video mm. like intercut there and just like I don't know. That's just such an like inessential moment, but it's just so I, I don't know, like profoundly moving and beautiful to me because zombie like this time he's gonna give you the the dick jokes, um, the the references to eating pussy, all that stuff there. But here he's gonna he's gonna feel the pain a lot more. Love hurts. What can we yeah. say? Um, uh, as the needle drop over the end says. Earns it. Earns the needle drop. Oh, right? absolutely. I think that's just a home run of a needle yeah, drop yeah. to end the movie. Uh, as we see, you know, the whole family just like lying as corpses. And then back to that white room uh, that, oh, you yeah. know, like it's just, I don't know. You you can read it many different ways, uh, I guess, in terms of what that means post, you know, their death. Because uh, it's just her in the room. Uh, but like the family dies together kind of, but so eh, there's a lot of ways you can interpret that, I think, but we'll leave that to the, uh, the psychiatrists <laughs> yeah, uh, or psychologists, I guess. Um, I'm going to give this one four bullets. I think this is a great movie. Uh, one of the better movies in the Halloween series that I've seen. Uh, I've only seen, you know, half dozen of them. I know there's, I think, 12 at this point. Wow. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I really love it. It's right up there with Zombie's best work that I've seen so far. And uh, yeah, not much else to say. Yeah, four bullets for me as well. You know, uh, quote Paul Wall here, you know, similar to an ant, I'm low to the earth. I thought of that when you meant the brought up the low angle, you know, instead of God's eye vision, hell's vision, you know, that's that was pretty sick. Like, uh, yeah, I think this is like kind of typical zombie in like what he's doing, kind of like visually exploring, but he kind of reaches a more sincere tone, you know, by the end or, or whatever, or not, I don't know, like there's not, there's not a lot of gleeful violence, as we've said, it's, it's a, uh, so like, I don't know, it's, it's interesting to see a filmmaker you like, for certain reasons, kind of come to different conclusions and still nail that as well, and yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't, I've seen very little of the Halloween movie. I don't think I've seen any of the original sequels. I haven't seen um, the new ones. Like Halloween is a zombie franchise to me, as far as I know. <laughs> Only seen the first Halloween yeah. movie and the two oh, zombies. I saw the third one. I saw the third season of the witch. The season of the nice. witch, which is which we'll is talk cool. about it. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Um, but uh, I do like the idea of a th a third zombie Halloween movie being called Myers Family Reunion. But uh, <laughs> I guess he's work he's got Adam's family is monsters. 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 It's all the same. same yeah, same yeah. bullshit. <laughs> JT, what do you think? Um, I'm gonna give this five bullets. I think this is uh, zombies masterpiece for me. I mean, I love 
I love the boy because he's immature. He uh, he's crude and and dirty and uh, all that good stuff. But this, I think, is his most mature work. And uh, yeah, I love every minute of it. We'll be right back on extended clip. Love hurts. Love scars. Love wounds and marks. Any heart not tough. Not strong enough to take a lot of pain, take a lot of pain. Love is like a cloud that holds a lot of rain. Love And we're back on extended clip. It's Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm, you watch any movies this week that are worth reporting upon? Oh, worth report? I guess I, you know, I guess. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just joking. I watched a movie. I would call uh, it. <laughs> called The Mothman Prophecies, starring Richard Gere, otherwise wow. known as Dr. T and Dr. T and the Woman. But Cue Moth- the music. <laughs> Mothman Prophecies, you know, 2002 PG-13 horror movie. You know, I wasn't expecting much, but it is like, you know, you see some friends on Letterboxd highly rated, you know what I mean? This, this is what they call a sleeper hit. And I, I have to agree. I have to agree. It is, there's something very, um, I don't know. It's kind of, it's, I think you got me on this kick, Eddie. I, I'm really liking that crime procedural mixed with horror. Mm aspect and this definitely scratches that itch uh even though i I think uh we have uh gear playing a washington post reporter here you know liberal media but you know got to be unbiased and so basically like uh gear's wife dies two years past much like in halloween 2 and then uh, uh he he somehow finds himself drawn to this small town where there's like you know this west virginia hick who's like saying like there's like this weird dude who's like visiting me he's like telling me like 60 people in denver are gonna die you know so there's a scoop aspect to it you know a little reporter and it's like it's a very just basically i guess the the plot's fine but it's like the appeal of this movie is like its visual style it does kind of have that cold kind of like i don't know i associate a lot of like looking at TV screens and stuff, it kind of feels like The Ring from like O2, kind of like Gore Verbinski's style, but maybe a little less uh, showy. You know what I mean? A little Mm -hmm. bit more refined. But uh, I don't know. There's just uh, something that Mark Pellington, I guess a former uh, music video director, and you could feel that in this movie, is like he's, he's always kind of having a visual gambit 
with she with each scene and there's something i think the one downside of this movie it, it is like kind of boring it's kind of boring it's a little too long but the, it is like i don't know like it i'm kind of in that mode i guess like i'm kind of i kind of did watch this movie to zone out at least a little tiny bit and i think gear is kind of i don't know i think he's good at operating that type of role where it's like something like in Dr. T that it, I think is kind of subverted, but like he's kind of casted how he's, how he's casted here, kind of like a, a normal guy, but then, you know, things happen to him. Uh, so yeah, I enjoyed the Mothman prophecies, not much Mothman for the moth enthusiasts, but yeah. What's the, uh, what's the title mean? I, I think it's the, she sees like a Mothman before she <laughs> dies and like people are drawing moths stuff like that okay yeah jt <laughs> um yeah i were there any moths in the movies you <laughs> saw this week i don't think so i'm going back i i've seen a lot uh i don't know if i've seen a lot i've seen movies this week some of them there's bound to be a moth in one of them i'm sure that's a fair that's a fair assessment that's that's keeping them honest <laughs> yeah i mean even hey you don't know what's going on in on set as well they some unintentional moths in the frame a lot of people are shooting in weird, interesting places. But and these days, they just freaking CGI the moths in anywhere. <laughs> yeah. um, but I don't think there were any moths in the movie that I'm going to talk about. They they can't pull me out of the damn AMCs. I keep fucking... <laughs> and they want to pull me out of the AMCs because I'm jacking off and causing a great disruption. But you're like, no, I'm just scratching, I'm just scratching my nuts. <laughs> you can't kick me up for scratching my nuts. <laughs> That's the hill I'm going to die on. Um, And I'm going to fight the Burbank 16 on it every step of the way. Um, (laughs) That's 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 always packed. That one's always always packed. You always. What can I say? I like an audience. (laughs) He's a bit of an expositionist. (laughs) Um, But I saw the French Dispatch, and uh, oh, people, Wes Anderson, this, Wes Anderson, that. What I'm gonna cut through the bullshit. Please do. If I, I hate bullshit, and we're cutting right through it. Um, (laughs) You're, if you're like, you know your opinion about Wes Anderson. Yeah. Any of you, um, this isn't gonna change it. Uh, But if you're a Wes fan, I think it's like an interesting like next step and like entry or uh, in his work. I think um, his style is kind of suited for like a short story kind of format, like especially like him doing like literary kind of bullshit um, earlier. I think doing like a magazine style presentation of something is very uh, interesting and fun. Um, I was reading the Richard Brody review that came out today and he talks a lot about the really like kinetic and like sort of freewheeling, like fast energy in it. And that's really what I love the most about it is it's really, uh, formally audacious in a way that I don't think Anderson has been, um, in a bit like I, I haven't like Isle of Dogs. I wasn't all that crazy about. I mean, I liked, uh, well enough, but, uh. Yeah, this he's trying a bunch of different things. And I mean, there's some stuff that would definitely rub people the wrong way. And I get it like the uh, Timothy Chalamet segment of the movie is a little French new wavy in a way that I could see like pissing people off. But I think (laughs) Wes Anderson um, is respecting the classics in an earnest enough way and because he's operating on like such a fun uh, formal mode 
It also gets at like some character stuff that I think he really does well. Like my favorite Anderson is probably Royal Tenenbaums. And aside from all the like tweet bullshit, I think that one has like the most like earnestness and heart and uh, sort of like tender little precious moments. And since this is uh, in like short story style, you get a little bit of like melancholy, like peppered in at little parts and ways that I think aren't like he's not trying to hit for like big sweeping, like emotional moments, but they're important little gestures and I think it's neat that Anderson is like making kind of like a minor work that uh he's he's fooling around he's having a great time and it feels like the closest I think you could ever get to like a hangout movie from Anderson like the whole time I was really thinking about like once upon a time in Hollywood because since it like moves around uh between all these stories you're just having fun in, in Wes's little world and uh, I had a good time with it. And returning to the mid-century from a contemporary auteur. Mm-hmm. Sounds fun. I, I'm going to see it sometime this week. Yeah, it, I, for, I it, forgot it, that was out. By the time you listen to this episode, you may have already seen it. And I may have hated it. I may have oh. loved it, though. I may have loved it. Uh, I feel like I have to be... I have to, it depends on my mood. Like, if I'm in a bad mood, if I watch a Wes Anderson movie, I'm going to be like, fuck this bullshit. <laughs> but if like, I don't know, if I'm in a good mood, I'll be like, okay, I don't know. For some reason, <laughs> for some reason I, I've like... I used to think I hated Wes Anderson much more than I did, and then I kind of reflected on his movies. Like, I guess I don't dislike those, or whatever. But it is like a, I like I like that you said that like you feel like it's like a step forward because that's that's what got me interested the most because that's that's what pissed me off about Isle of Dogs. Like I I thought Wes I was like Wes could fucking fall asleep and do like it just felt mm-hmm. too easy to me for some reason. I'm I mean, sure the animation itself was arduous, but you know like the, yeah, there's like points like he does a lot of like aspect ratio and like color shifting in this like at different points like in scenes that I think is like it's different than what he does in like Grand Budapest Hotel with that where he's playing more fast and loose with it and trying new shit I like that speaking of playing fast and loose uh how about a Halloween movie that doesn't have Michael Myers in it I'm not going to I'm not going to see it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Malcolm mentioned Halloween 3 earlier and I rewatched it the other night. Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, the 1982 film by Tommy Lee Wallace. Uh, the 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 film starring Tom Atkins. I mean, come on, you got a film starring Tom Atkins. <laughs> you got to give it a shot. Um this is a film where the the presence of evil does not loom within Michael Myers, but within corporate America. Ooh. The truth comes out. Uh, there is a scary uh, company town where the factory they make like Halloween goodies and uh, Silver Shamrock. They're they're plotting something big with these masks that have these weird microchips. In oh, them. hey, don't get your kids uh, maskinated. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, microchip in them. Um, so yeah, basically after some strange uh, deaths at the hands of very anonymous looking corporate goons, Tom Atkins' Dr. Dan Chalice takes a trip to this factory town. And uh, yeah, he, he finds out some sick shit alongside uh, the daughter of one of the victims. Uh, th- this is Tom Atkins at his sleaziest probably, just a total <laughs> dirtbag, uh, like, uh, what? what 
what's it called again? Uh, Deadbeat Dad, where he, his wife is just always calling him, and she, he's just like, "Look, I'll take the kids another time," you know. And he, <laughs> mean, you know, he, he clearly seems to be like distressed by the fact that his wife wants him to see their children once in a while, and then just hangs up the phone and hits on the nearest woman, <laughs> like whatever, whoever is nearest to him, whether it's the nurse who it's implied he's had relationships with before, or this very young woman who's the daughter of one of the victims who he even asks how old she is at one point uh it's just old enough (laughs) (laughs) old enough uh but i i really love this movie this is like such a strange uh spooky movie with just a a very strange town where everything's a little off and you get the classic dean coondy cinematography but it doesn't quite look like the first two halloween movies it kind of looks a little more like the 80s blockbusters that he would shoot with some of that classic carpenter flair uh you got some classic carpenter synth riffs going throughout this and more than anything you just got tom atkins fighting evil it's like it's it's half of the film is you know this is really strange. This is what what's going on here. And then the second half of the film is more like an action movie. And uh, yeah, I, I can't sing its praises high enough. I mean, it's not like a masterpiece or anything, but I think it's a great film and it's a great like subversion of what the audience would expect from a Halloween movie, obviously. And uh, I, I like how briefly they can show the scope of the issue here. You know, it's like, a lot of the horror is kind of implied. You get these shots that are just like Los Angeles, California, Phoenix, Arizona, like just like little things of kids walking around with these masks that you know are mind control devices. And the very end of it, you know, you see these three kids who are uh, maybe going to get their heads exploded from the mind control masks at the end when Tom Atkins is calling the cable channels, telling them to turn the commercials off, you know? And uh, when only two of the three networks, this is pre-cable, of course, two of the three networks can turn it off. It's like, oh no, these three kids are going to explode and it just cuts to black and credits and you realize, oh yeah, no, this isn't just about these three kids. This is a, you know, nationwide, if not larger problem where it's just like, all of these kids and parents are just going to die right now. And it's a, it's a pretty fucked up movie in that regard. And all of the gore is awesome. It has a great sense of humor to it. And uh, yeah, if you're trepidatious about, you know, a Halloween movie sans Michael Myers, uh, throw your expectations out the window and check out Season of the Witch. Good, because I was I was like, no, Mike Myers, get out of here. That doesn't sound very shagadelic. <laughs> Uh, we'll be right back on Extended. Come on, ladies. And those beads led to steamboats and skyscrapers, Wall Street and electric lights, newspapers, Ellis Island, the Yankees, Central Park, and the first World's Fair, Broadway, the Chrysler Building, and Studio 54. I like to think of that as New York City, B.C., before Carrie. There's time left in this life of mine, so we'll see. There's time left in this life of mine. (laughs) Wow. Well, as off mic, we were just discussing Malcolm's favorite show, Gossip Girl. (laughs) We're now transitioning to another one of Malcolm's favorite shows, Sex in the City. Don't put this on me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll take Gossip Girl, but I mean, I think I said this on the pod, but I'll just say it again. We got to kill time. Uh, Like I, I I tried watching five minutes of Sex in the City 
you know, with a pal, like, I don't know, like a year ago. Could not make it five minutes. I really couldn't watch the show. But the movie. You watched a whole two and a half I hours of it. <laughs> JT, who, you know, made me watch a whole two and a half hours of it. And you know what? It, I think, you know, I, I'm not viscerally being like, ah, can't, you know, I can't, I, I came to terms with the movie and, you know, not great, not a great movie, but I wouldn't it, even say a good movie. I wouldn't say it's a good movie, but not it, even below average, below that. If it was 90 minutes, very, very, very livable movie. Very, yeah. <laughs> very like, I'm, I'm not nearly as negative on this movie if it's 90 minutes but it's also just what like five episodes of television basically yeah. but the thing is if it was more episodic maybe it would be more tolerable this does take the shape of like a globe tropic globe trotting epic in a way yeah yeah and it's all the worse for it uh i i actually watched a couple episodes of sex in the city this week and uh you know, I didn't exactly enjoy them, but like compared to this film, they were like the peak of the medium. Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> it's yeah, the the step down from the show to the film is like ridiculous. And unlike Halloween, I don't think any of us watched the first Sex in the City movie this no, week. No, we didn't catch, which is Pass also that one. which is also 146 minutes. I was <laughs> I was curious. I was like, is the first one this long? Yep, exactly so. this. Long. Yeah, it's exactly as. So, so did they just Michael make this? Patrick King? He's the 146 King. Oh uh, yeah, I wonder if he was just like, well, we got to make it the same length as the first one, right? Someone's know. finally got to give white women their due. Yeah. Well, this I mean, this them. is this is. Uh, I mean, it's <laughs> a very negative view of a promiscuous white woman, or I don't know. It's like it's all about like coming. T- Everything's coming to roost here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's like they learn your place in a way. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no city anymore. Right, it's true. There's no, they're not city. They're all like married and like live at home, right? Or except for one. I think. That, I mean, they probably still live in the city, but true. it's like you just don't see that much of that. Yeah. yeah, they're not going out. They go like they go to like breakfast, but it's like it's just like a, a table in a room somewhere. Yeah, that's true. That could be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is a film that you know the idea of the globe trotting to the Middle East epic came to director Michael Patrick King while. They were uh, promoting the first film in the Middle East. He said, you know, let's make a film here. He thought that... uh, Where did they promote? I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) He thought that Abu Dhabi was a good option because it was relatively free of the marks of the current recession that people were going through, uh, which is hilarious. Uh, uh, Just like that in the middle of a recession, you just dump this film on people. And it's like, let's set it in Abu Dhabi so people don't think about the recession. I mean, it's it's more self-aware than... I would have thought the creator of this movie to be. Yeah, I guess. But it's also like, I feel like it's, there's nothing really too deep about that. But uh, yeah, so they wanted to shoot it on location and the United Arab Emirates kicked them out. They were like, no way, this film is going to be too promiscuous, uh, much like the material in the film would suggest. So they shot the Middle Eastern portions in Morocco posing for Abu Dhabi, uh, which, you know, to anyone who knows anything about that stuff would notice it, I guess, right away. Uh, But, you know, this is not a film for people who know those kind of things. This is a film for people who want to see their pals, their pals, Carrie, Samantha, 
uh, Charlotte and Miranda. They're they're four best friends since the year 2000 or whatever. And uh, it's also the final film distributed by New Line Cinema. I guess they wow. and they they made a ton of money. It's yeah, like this a, like killed. It's a 95 million dollar budget, and they made 294 million dollars on it. Like that's, the, it's a lot of fucking money. Must have been something else. Like, or did the critics finally rise to power here? No, no, they don't. See, that's the thing. It's like, you know, you want to champion a film like this, or it's like one of the most critically reviled films of the last 20 years. It's popular with the people. It, like, made a shit ton of money. Uh, It's just like a... You know, I wouldn't say plotless, but it's a film that takes its time between plot. I think points. I get where you're going, uh, but yeah. it's just terrible. It's fucking yeah, terrible. No, if it, it was funny or like like pleasant to spend time with these characters, I I could see it out a little bit more. This is no Grown Ups too. Exactly, this, that is exactly where I was going. And it's you know maybe maybe. All the you guys cameos are, and stuff are there. You got sure. Liza Minnelli, Ron White. Oh but, my god! Liza, <laughs> all right, let's 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 get let's get right into it. You know. Gay marriage. That's how we're starting out the movie. We got the four gals there, and I'm uh, assuming uh, the the guy the guy that Samantha hangs out with was a reoccurring character. I don't know, the egghead looking guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> um, anyways, that doesn't matter. Got this gay marriage, and who who the be- the best gay icon of all time, Liza Minnelli, comes in and sings "Single Ladies" by Beyonce. How'd you guys feel about this scene? Uh, I honestly, I was relieved that the rest of the film wasn't that bad. Like that, yeah. that set piece, the the harsh lighting of the oh, gay yeah. marriage set piece, and just like the brashness of it all, the whiteness of it all. And I don't mean ethnically; I mean like everyone wearing white and the set being so white. It was mm-hmm. a strain on the eyes, a strain on the ears. You have Liza Minnelli with her two backup dancers that are like younger versions of hot, herself kind young, of hot Elizabeth. yeah very, very strange uh you know one character pronounces here comes the gays and i guess that's kind of a uh, a welcoming mat for white women uh to step on gay people throughout this entire movie just like using them as a a stool kind of you know it's well, I, I, I'm sorry could you, you, you no well i just very funny because it's like there's a lot of offhand jo- you know hey this is it's a vulgar movie right i'd be but it's it is like like when the uh, other gay guy jokes about like, well he got his dream wedding so I'm gonna have you know sex with you know other guys or whatever. Everyone's like, wait a second, are you not respecting the sanctity of marriage? It's like it's a, a very very uh, weird. strange beat. It's kind of a strange beat. And I thought like the whole point of this show was like, you know, it's like you know you independent woman who you know, has a lot of sex, you know what I mean? And that's okay. You have a fun, fulfilling life, you know, despite, you know, you know, fucking 1950s, you know, stereotypes, but it's like, it's kind of a conservative <laughs> movie when it, when you come down to brass tacks, not even in its like implications, but what characters like literally say to each other, yeah. and how they act. So it's like very, it's very strange to me, I guess, for, from what I thought, you know, this show and what it was about and then what it, actually is at least in this movie yeah i mean it is that weird sense of like because you get the of course the lib femme like pandering of the like uh i am woman hear me roar type moments in the movie (laughs) um but then just like like especially the climax of the muslim women like revealing their uh, (laughs) oh my god yeah well that's 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 in the whole muslim aspect of this oh yeah insane insane. oh yeah more like (laughs) like literally more 
one of the most Islamic phobic movies I've seen mm-hmm. ever. Like yeah. even like if you're out here fucking decrying American Sniper, you should have take a look at this. Take a look at this. <laughs> if you can make it fucking two and a half hours in when they go there. Yeah, it takes it takes an hour for them to board the plane to Abu Dhabi, which is fucking insane. So they go to Abu Dhabi because uh, you know one of them is a publicist yeah. and is paid to you know write a review of some resort in Abu Dhabi, and so they get on a plane to go there, and uh, you know you get like three magic carpet ride references within like ten minutes, and you get some mistranslated stuff too. Like it's like you know you can make the case maybe the movie is like looking down on the characters but i don't think so <laughs> like nah, uh, yeah. just like you know the the few words of the the arabic that they can speak are just wrong too <laughs> like apparently <laughs> i had to look into this and i uh, was not surprised yeah also just that reminds me everything in this movie looks like shit it's so ugly and oh it's yeah like, and like that that fucking disgusting plane that they ride on with i told the sheikh i go on one condition i get to bring my three best girlfriends get out of town my point exactly and we are being flown on the sheikh's own airline he has his own airline mm-hmm. oh that is one chic sheikh super 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 first class like these weird like cubicle like private sweets is like garish it looks like i don't know looks like you took like in like intestines like modeled fucking uh living spaces after human intestines like it's like it's like it's just like this is one of the strangest like things yeah. i've ever seen like i guess i'm over but it's like i've never seen anything like this before like what is this so small note uh, they they get to Abu Dhabi and outside of like the establishing shots, the the whole thing like they didn't have to shoot in Morocco. This may as well have been shot on a Hollywood soundstage. Like there is no real sense of location whatsoever there. Uh, like when they're you know at the resort and then when uh, Carrie is going through the market and you know the the crux of the drama of the film is you know her, her relationship with Mister Big isn't working out so well. You know they have some bumps in the road uh, and then she happens upon one of her exes from the show in Abu Dhabi and you know has a little fling with him where they have a little kiss you know and so she runs into him at some market and like that market is shot so like indiscreetly like it easily could like if someone told me that was shot on a Hollywood soundstage I would 100% believe them there's a weird soundstage level fake quality to the whole movie which is why I feel like sometimes because I at points it is definitely like making fun of the women, but it makes the perspective so hard to discern sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know that I felt like it's just, I don't know. How can you be like self aware enough to like have, which it's not a funny scene, but it's like, uh, um, Cynthia Nixon and the Charlotte character are like having drinks and are like talking about how hard being a, a rich white mom oh is. My. Oh my god! And then if they, I didn't have the help, and it's, then it's insane with this movie. Yeah. And then they do the drinks to the all the women that don't have the help, which is like okay, that's clearly a joke at the expense of these women being elaborate or like extremely wealthy. But then at the same time, like how do you how do you make a joke about that, but then be so unaware of how completely racist the movie is? Yes. <laughs> also, it's like the the like it makes a joke about that, but like like tries to depict scenes where like you know like the the one woman you know with the two kids. I, I didn't really learn a lot of all their names, but uh, that would be Charlotte. Charlotte. Charlotte 
there's like the scene where she's stressed out with like her two kids because one of them puts like paint on her designer pants or whatever. So she has to go inside the cabinet to cry only to be relieved by her nanny. It's like that scene's sold straight up. Yeah, like, there's absolutely. no there's no scent like scent of irony to that at all. And it's like it's, Oh, and then there's no irony at all to carry like leaving money for the guy to go see his wife in oh, India. Yeah. <laughs> or the, or like the fact that she makes a connection, you know, like there's this in the resort there's this uh seemingly like a twenty four hour like butler server that's just, you know, there for them, you know, if they need anything, you know, it's a very lavish hotel and you know she talks to this guy late night while she's having you know trouble with mr big you know considering you know a, a deal where they go to their other apartment in new york and uh you know <laughs> take a two-day break out of the you know seven-day week with each other and you know he the guy you know who works literally all the time is like well i get some time off to go see like you know my wife every three months or something like that. And she's like, Oh wow. So it's like, it works for you guys like this. <laughs> so it can work for me. And it's just like, the apartment thing is so funny because it's like, it's introduced because she needs, you know, to get away from Mr. Big to write for a little bit, but it's yeah. like, a, wow, haven't been here in a while. And so it's implied that she's just like, she, and she says in the voiceover as so much that the, when they moved in together, she just kept that apartment and yeah. like just, keeps paying rent on it or whatever it just hasn't been in there in forever but you, you know the apartment still looks good too so you would assume there's also like a cleaning service too, just to maintain an empty apartment for that long it's fucking insane yeah and it's i guess with this it's like there's like movies that depict rich men they usually they know it's just like well it's like that's usually like a villain in a movie right like a very wealthy person or whatever and it's like, I don't know, they usually are like overblown assholes or whatever, you know, unless it's like Fast and the Furious. There's like usually like rich guy. I guess it's like maybe Entourage kind of is like the inverse of Sex in the City, maybe thinking about. But it's just like, I, I guess you don't get like rich asshole enjoyment. You know what I mean? Like you, in other movies, you see people be just like rich assholes and be like, you know, owning it where it's like these people like we're supposed to genuinely see them like suffer struggle all that stuff <laughs> but not in like i don't know just like in ways that make their wealth so evident Som yeah. somehow the wealth is like wealth wealth solves their problems in all of these scenarios <laughs> in very like evident way and not and not even like it's like in a ways that like you have to be very wealthy. It's not even just like upper middle class shit. It's like you got to be very wealthy to live the way these. Which is why it feels it, there's yeah. like it's strange to me in that beat where they're getting kicked out of the hotel yeah. where they're like, oh, it's twenty two thousand dollars a night, yeah. and it's like totally plausible in my mind that yeah. four of these women could just they could afford that. Yeah, but hey, I they're mean, just to, saving to be mm -hmm. yeah to be uh, yeah I guess they want to have sex. So they got to get out of Abu Dhabi. Exactly. <laughs> I need a vacation from this vacation, right? Uh, yeah. So to speak on the treatment of Muslim women in this oh, movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, for a pro woman movie, it's a, uh, you know. Yeah. They're just gawking at them, you know, like uh, it, oh, as a woman is like lifting her face covering to eat French fries. And Pontificates. Just, yeah. Just, just, uh, uh, it's so insane how they just gawk at them. And later one of them says like, uh, you know, uh, men in the U.S. pretend like they like strong women, but really they want us eating French fries behind our veils. So it's like she's equating like men in America wanting women to be treated like they are in Arab countries, and it's like I 
it's just a minefield. I don't even know what to say about that. Just other than to leave it as is. But then we see them get taken in by this kind of a women's book club kind of fashion club, really uh, when they're being accosted by all of these men in Abu Dhabi. When uh, one of them spills all of her freaking condoms out of her purse. Cause she is going to fuck so much that she has like a billion condoms. <laughs> she needs, that many yeah right now she's ready to go well i mean you saw the way she was sucking on that freaking hookah like a penis <laughs> there's like a very like vulgar shot of like her getting fucked on a mercedes yeah. So we're like yeah. g-wagon while a fucking bunch of fireworks go. i was like all right I'll, I'll give you that but i was just like that's a like that's like that's something I thought I was going to see in Tatane or something like that. Yeah, you know no, what I mean? and it's funny. So she gets arrested for you know being promiscuous and like making out with a guy on a beach or something, yeah. which is supposed to speak to the sex negativity of the region or whatever, you know. Uh, and, and then the the redemption is when she gets back in the states, she meets up with that guy and fucks him on his car and like. It's so funny how that guy is fully naked and she's fully clothed in the shot. Yeah. Like very, very weird there. Um, but rich yeah. guys rule, dude. What can I say? <laughs> rich dudes lay the best dick. That's what I, that's what I've been hearing, at least from this movie. <laughs> but also, yeah, when they need to get a cab, it like calls back to Carrie and Mr. Big watching It Happened One Night. You know, the the iconic scene of is it Claudette Colbert in that movie? Uh, it like hiking up her, you know, uh, clothing to reveal her leg to stop a cab. And, uh, yeah, it's like, she does that. So it's like, oh, it's like they're in the 1930s over there in the Middle East, man. It's so backwards. It's so fucked up the way they portray this all. Like it's crazy. But anyway, so that women's club that they happened upon, it's revealed that beneath their traditional garments, they're wearing Western designer clothes. Like, and I just, I, I don't know what to make of that. What's That's the implication? Just insane. Yeah. Well, it's just, and they also the all of the Muslim women love the Sex in the City girls for for yeah. like having that embarrassing public outburst. Yeah, you're so cool. We think exactly like you do. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like it's. We like, wish we could be rich white women in New York City. Yeah. It's like one thing, and this would be very perplexing. I don't expect this movie to take this angle, but it's like it's one thing if like this movie was like pro-Islam or something like that, <laughs> which it's like very not. Like yeah. it's very not. So it's like a very tries to toe this very weird line where it's like, you know what I mean? Like we don't endorse Muslims, but or like the religion, Muslim religion, but it's like you know the women there they they secretly just want to be Western us. women. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a very like. And and in that way, we could relate to them. And in that way, they are human. And you know what I mean. And in that way, they they are respectable and interesting. I mean, it's it's so funny because it is like you think, and I think it shows it on the poster. Like we're going to Abu Dhabi. You expect like lavish set pieces of them like in the desert for some reason. And literally, it's just most of like a good like forty percent of them being in Abu Dhabi. It's them like eating at some breakfast table gawking at yeah. Muslim women being like that's crazy that they have to wear that you know and it's just like and and hey you know I'm sure all these these actresses are mask advocates now right 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> they get back home and uh, you get like glimpses of everyone's problems being resolved. Of course, Charlotte's problem with her uh, husband potentially, you know, uh, fucking the the hot brawless nanny is nice. resolved by the nanny being a lesbian. It's also just mentioned. It's like it turned out she was a lesbian, so that's cool. But I, you know, a little something for the bros in this movie, right? Alice Eve bouncing around some very vulgar stuff in this movie of yeah. her like bouncing around with her nipples nipples protruding you know, very disrespectfully from her shirt. And I like, mean, to speak to the vulgar quality, there is a lot of there are a lot of boner and penis shots in this as well. Yeah, yeah. When, I like when it, when it gets crass. I mean, like it's not funny really any of the time. It's interesting. It's more I, interesting. I like that it on. goes there. Yeah. It, yeah. You're right. That's like it's. There's like four images in this movie where I'm like, all right, there's something going on here, and then the rest I'm not. I'm not too much of a fan of. Yeah, I. Uh, I'm gonna give this one a solitary one bullet. You know, it's not the worst thing we've watched, yeah. but it's down there. It's down there. It's just like there's something that separates this just ever so slightly from like music and uh, uh, super baby geniuses. You know, so it's just one for me. One you, bullet. Music is a knife in the chest. <laughs> yeah, that was that was straight. Too much, but uh, yeah, this is also one bullet because it is like, let's say hypothetically, this is a ninety-minute movie. I'm giving it one and a half bullets. It's really, it's <laughs> it's really time that really fucking kills you in this movie. Yeah, if the first hour was more streamlined. Maybe it's a little better. Yeah, yeah, because it takes them an hour to get there. It's like it's it's painful how long this movie is yeah. and like what it decides to take its time on versus not is like insane i mean it's like so yeah and in that way it's not it's not one of the worst you know things i've ever seen even but it's just like it just drags and drags it's and among drags. the it's like among the like maybe hundred worst movies i've seen yeah you know you're right probably it probably is a hundred or fifty but it's 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 in a different way i'm I, i'm actually it's like with this one welcome's I'm, coming around on it the more we mm-hmm. talk about it i'm, I'm, I'm morally offended by this <laughs> <laughs> like that's literally like the like uh, like for most movies, I guess music's that like that too. Never mind, whatever. Um, <laughs> Moralist Malcolm. Moralist Malcolm. <laughs> I wait to quote uh, Ebert. I you know talking about Freddie got fingered. You know, this movie might be proof we've gone morally askew. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Um, I'm gonna go one bullet as well. Yeah, it's not the worst piece of crap ever, but it's it's a piece of crap. It's so down there. It's yeah. down there. But it's in the toilet. But. We need to get to the bottom of which Sex in the City girls we are. I think it's an obvious route, really? but I have I I when I was watching the movie and learning the traits of each character, <laughs> I was like, okay, Carrie's the main character and like a writer, and she's the she's the one. She's the main character. That's that's her thing. Yeah. Uh, Samantha, the slut. Slut. Um, yeah. uh, Miranda has it all together. She's like the type A, like organized girl boss. Girl boss. Girl yeah. boss. And Charlotte. I guess just has kids. I don't know what her her thing in the show Miss was. Miss Normal. She's Miss Normal. Yeah. So I'm thinking. You're Samantha. I'm Samantha. <laughs> I'm glad you agree. Uh, I mean, I think he was. <laughs> um, we'll give that to JT. Malcolm is Carrie and yeah. Eddie's Miranda. Wow. Malcolm has a freaking protagonist syndrome. Yeah. No, he's, he's low key the protagonist of the podcast. Really? What is the name <laughs> of the middle segment? That's wow. true. And That's I did true. name the podcast and. That's it, pretty much. But, and he has so many segments on the podcast. <laughs> true, money, true. Malcolm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mo- quick, money, Malcolm, real quick. Failed parlay tonight. Hornets, 
Blazers and Timberwolves. Uh, Hornets lost in overtime. Oh well, because like, Money Malcolm. Money moment. Malcolm's your carry narration. It's like, yeah, you're you're there, baby. You're the star. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, <laughs> I guess I have to agree. Yeah, I, I, I don't really, I don't really take issue with any of that. Honestly, uh, we don't have any emails this week. We're but, never uh, getting an email ever again. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we're only doing like five or six more episodes of this fucking show. So, so maybe yeah. write in once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> but as as it's going now, we will never get an email again. Um. Yeah, so next week on the podcast, uh, return of a guest, Jason Buford, is going to come back on. We're going to be talking about Billy Wilder's The Apartment and Boomerang with Eddie Murphy. Um, JT, I don't think we'll be here for that episode. Is that true? I will not be here, but I'll have a little something for you, Phil. Okay. JT's I'm going... taking, uh, he, he's doing his first tour of duty in Chirac. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to Abu Dhabi. <laughs> Uh, 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 uh. Uh, then all your condoms spell out and they're like hell yeah bro yeah yeah hell yeah you're a guy that's we got cool. s- we got that's some women up. we got some women for you back here <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i'm going to chicago what if sex in the city started was about guys and they just fucked a bunch that would that would fucking rule i think i got the antidote to this the movie we just watched <laughs> 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 All right, well, we'll see you next week on Extended Slips. <laughs>